Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back. It's another episode of The Detroiter. I'm your host, Nick Bradley, talking about sports in the Motor City and the Mitten State, presented by the thesecondstring.com. I appreciate everybody being here. What a fucking day to be a Michigan State fan, huh? What a day to be a Spartan. Ironically enough, we've got that if you're watching on YouTube. We've got the Paul Bunyan here. We're decorating the set a little bit. Nick Bradley, old Nick, he's adding a little flavor to the stream, to the YouTube videos. Shout out rivalrytrophies.com. Dude, his nose is red. Is the normal Paul Bunyan's nose red? It's kind of like, it's like Rudolph of Lumberjacks. Shout out rivalrytrophies.com. My man's Pat hooked me up. We got the Paul Bunyan trophy. I got some Christmas ornaments over there. Look, if you've got family members, they're Michigan fans, Michigan State fans, and it's not just limited to Michigan State stuff. I got a couple old brass spittoons over there, a couple Paul Bunyan ornaments. He gave me this, like, replica. I'll hold it up real fast. This, like, Paul Bunyan replica. It's fucking sweet, dude. It's got some nice weight to it. It's a good size. It's badass. And being the guy that I am, I have, like, zero decorations in my apartment, so I am very grateful to Pat. Check it out, rivalrytrophies.com. Great time. Great Christmas gift. It's in the season. Check it out. Um, it's a good time to be a state fan, though. What a fucking game. That Kentucky game. What a game, bro. What a game. Are you kidding me that they pulled it out? I'm going to be honest. I'm a pretty positive guy. I was sitting there. That second half was winding down, and I was just thinking, this is a fucking rerun of the Gonzaga game. We're trailing by one. We're tra trailing by two. Every time we get a lead, we give it right back. And it just doesn't feel like this thing's going to end the way we want it to. It feels like Oscar Toshibwe or whatever his name is, is too much. It feels like Maddie's going to foul out eventually. And once that happens, we're toast. It feels like when we need a basket, so many times we need a basket, we miss a contested two and the possession isn't quite what we need it to be. It felt like it was going that way the entire time down the stretch. And somehow, some way, Kentucky misses a couple free throws MSU gets a stop or two Oscar takes a moving charge foul or moving screen foul when we need him to we cash in in a couple big moments Tom is the wizard of Oz in the out of bounds plays I mean the first Malik play I don't know what that was I think Kentucky just brains were off Malik right under the basket wide open dunk but that second one to send it to double OT Tyson or AJ Hogard with the fucking Hail Mary piece to Tyson Walker over to Malik, fake one to make one, one dribble. Ah, and the whole time Tom Izzo sitting on the bench is oh yeah. I knew that was gonna work. Are you kidding me? <laughs> In what world doesn't that work? I mean, Tom Izzo, that Gonzaga out of bounds play to win it wasn't anything good. Actually, it was fucking bad. But boy, oh boy, did he redeem himself. That full court play. Hogard to Walker to Hall to the slam was unbelievable. I can't imagine what Kentucky fans were thinking watching that. Like, they drew that up? They drew up that, like, perfectly executed. Every single thing was about it was just so perfectly done. And, of course, the play itself. Joey Hauser comes down, kind of gets Tyson's guy off his path. AJ looking like Aaron Rodgers circa 2012, just Right in the bucket, one dribble from Tyson over to Malik. Pump fake to the corner to Akins. One dribble, slam. Let's go to double overtime. A Thibway, a Shibway, he follows out. And right when he followed out, it started to feel like, okay, win the fucking game. Now it's ours. 
their best player, the national player of the year returning, he fouled out. The guy that they've been going to the well to every time they need a basket, the guy even when they don't get a basket just cleans up the glass and draws a foul or puts it back. The dude who single-handedly was keeping Kentucky in the game, really. It was single-handedly the reason Kentucky was winning that entire second half and overtime. He's gone. Now you take these guys by the throat and fucking put them under and win this thing. Gonzaga was fun. Aircraft carrier, close game, 10 and a half point dogs, and we took them to the wire. Number two team, that was great. That was awesome. We saw we could play. Maddie showed some flashes. Hogard was great. That was a great game, no doubt about it. But when we lost that game, as great as it was, and being there, the spectacle of it all, you still left with a sour feeling like, fuck, we should have won that game. We should, that. I know that they're the number two team and we're unranked and it was like, oh shit, Michigan State, look at these guys. They're in this game. Who would have thunk? You left it like, we're better than those guys. We should have fucking won that game. That's exactly how this Kentucky game went. It was getting down the stretch where it was the same shit. All right, this is cool. We're in the Champions Classic. You know, it's Duke, it's Kansas, it's Kentucky, all ranked in the top 10. And then it's unranked Michigan State. This is great to be here. Another great recruiting ploy. We're going to be on ESPN primetime. Everybody in the country who cares about college basketballs watching that game. Tom Izzo versus John Calipari, legendary coaches duking it out. Legendary brands, Kentucky, Michigan State. You knew it was going to be a good time. You knew it was going to be fun. And it was a similar type thing. I think State was six and a half, seven and a half point dogs going in. And as the game progressed, and it was clearly evident, like, hey, shh, MSU can hang with these guys. MSU can play. Obviously, we saw with Gonzaga. Now we they can play with Kentucky. Shit, MSU might be legit. They might be able to hang with anybody in the country if they can go toe-to-toe with these two guys. That was nice. It's a good feeling. It pumps you up. But that's not what we were there for two nights ago. When that game got into it a little bit, it became – it went from this is pretty cool, this is pretty fun to fuck that. Fuck the moral victory. Fuck talking about how MSU might be better than we thought. Suzoko looks great. Tom Izzo might have something. Forget that. I don't want to talk about, well, you know, we hung in there. You know, this team might be better. I want to talk about how this team is better. I want to talk about how they won the game. I don't want to talk about how they hung with Kentucky and made it interesting. Probably the more talented team, the returning player of the year. Man, MSU, good job. Suzoko, what a project he's been going at it with in Shibwe. I don't want to talk about that. I I literally can't say that guy's name, by the way. I want to talk about how Michigan State did go to toe with toe with them and beat them. I want to talk about how Sissoko, the project who Tom Izzo, all of the chips in the offseason on Mahdi. I want to talk about how he stayed in the game longer. He played smarter and he was there for his team on the floor when we needed him to win the fucking game. And that's what we did. That's what I wanted to talk about as the clock te- t- kept ticking. Overtime one goes by. Overtime two is winding down. I don't want to talk about what a great game. I don't want to talk about how good Joey Hauser looked and wow, what a battle and the grit in this team. I want to fucking talk about how Michigan State just clocked the number four team in the country in a battle in what's going to stand as the game of the year, probably close to tournament time. I mean, that game was unbelievable. That game was unbelievable. Are you kidding me? As a neutral college basketball fan, that game was fucking nuts. The end of regulation was crazy. The end of the first overtime was crazy. It was a track meet at points. The refs were pretty good. Not too many whistles. It was pretty fluid. Guys were making shots. There's talent everywhere, right? You got Tom Izzo. You got Calipari. You've got Michigan State where it's the more experienced, not quite, you know, as talented or revered 
NBA prospects on their side. And then you have Kentucky where all these guys, McDonald's, all Americans, when are they going to go to the league? What does their NBA future hold in store? It's kind of like the, the age old when MSU plays a Duke or plays a Kentucky where it's like the young fucking nuts talent guys versus the experienced. Maybe weren't the biggest recruits, but they've been with Izzo for three, four years. They play hard. It was like the beautiful, a perfect balance, a perfect matchup. And MSU finding a way to win it early on after that disappointing Gonzaga loss, it felt fucking good, especially considering we were down like the entire game. It felt like we were down by one for the entire second half. Like every time we got close or we tied it or we even got a one-point lead, Kentucky right back, leads up to two, leads up to three, leads up to four. It felt like one of those games where it was like, ah, ah, ah. Like when you're touching your toes and you can just feel that shit burn and you're like, God damn it, am I ever going to be like, will I be able to hold this? I don't know. It just felt like, nah, is this thing going to be out of reach like this all game? Are we going to be that close but no cigar all game? And credit to the guys on that fucking team, dude. Everybody battled defensively, offensively. Every time Kentucky got a little momentum and it started to feel like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. We, we got to do something here. Oh, shit. MSU was right there to answer the bell. MSU was right there battling back and answering and keeping it a one possession game, keeping it within striking distance. And when it came down to it, like I said, Kentucky split a couple pairs of free throws. MSU made a couple shots. Tom Izzo drew up a couple incredible plays and State came out on top and it felt like we fucking needed it. And it's crazy to say being the underdogs, playing the number four team after losing that game to the number two team. It's kind of crazy to say in November that it felt like a must win, but for our sanity, for I don't know, at least from the fan perspective, it felt like we needed that one because we got the moral victory against Gonzaga. We felt good. You know, you could feel as good as you possibly can after a loss. Unbelievable event. You play the number two team. I don't think many people really expected that game to go the way that they did. Now, I don't think many people expected Mati Sissoko to be the guy he is. I don't know how many people expected Hogard to be the guy he is. Tyson Walker's been good. Hauser wasn't good against Gonzaga, but he was incredible against Kentucky. I don't know how many people really expected State to be able to match up with some of these quote-unquote elite teams. But after that, the moral victory against Gonzaga, being in that same position in a similar type event, like it, all the eyes are on you, it's you against Kentucky, the top of the college basketball world. It just felt like a moral victory. Getting close and losing by one wasn't going to do it. It felt like one where it was like, fuck that, win this time. You had the one. You had the one where you're close, no cigar, you didn't quite get it done. Get it done this time. Because you can. You're right there. You're proving it to everybody. You're proving it to the fans. You're proving it to neutral observers. You're proving it to Izzo. You're proving it to yourselves in real fucking time. You belong. You can hang with anybody. Kentucky, Gonzaga. Give me Duke. Give me Kansas. Give me UNC. I don't care who it is. You can hang with anybody. The moral victory was nice. It was cool to go to San Diego and play on the carrier. Yeah, you lost. Tough. Scene. Fucking win this time. And they got it done. It felt like there was some urgency. It felt amongst my friends and I, we were watching at the bar before going to the Red Wings game in Anaheim. It felt like there was urgency. And then as the game progressed, you could see kind of a, a wave of determination where every single time it could get away, MSU wasn't about to let that happen. And they refused to lose that game. Couple things shaked out and it went state's way. Let me take one quick break and then we'll talk a little bit more in depth about the game. I want to talk about some of the guys on this fucking team because 
I'm jazzed. I am jazzed over MSU hoops right now. Quick break. Hand up. I owe Joey Hauser an apology. That guy was unfucking real. Kyle Corver, who, brother? That guy was unreal against Kentucky. I mean, as great as Sissoko was, as great as Izzo was, AJ Hogard being the anchor for the team. Without Joey Hauser, we don't win that game. And he was hitting those threes at a time when we needed it. It felt like a few different moments in that game where we had to have a basket. The lead gets out to four or five for Kentucky, and we got to have a basket. And here it is, Joey Hauser open for three. Fucking splat. Hey, hand up. I was on his case after Gonzaga. I hated the fact that Izzo kind of left him in there, fed him to the dogs. If he's not making threes and we're needing him to play defense on the other team's best big, I don't know if that's where Joey Hauser's best utilized. So at some point, you know, maybe the fault isn't as much his as Tom's. But, dude, when Joey Hauser makes threes, he's a different player. That's a guy. That's why Tom Izzo brings him in. That's why Tom Izzo leaves him in those games. When Joey Hauser makes fucking threes, he's obviously a different player. But the team, Michigan State, elevates to another level. I think it's fair to say that shooting, to begin with, is an MSU strength. Hogard's not the best shooter. Sissoko doesn't shoot. Malik Hall's all right. He has his days. Jaden Akins, he's all right. Pierre Brooks, he's all right. But we don't really have, there is no Matt McQuay, right? Max Christie was supposed to be that guy last year. He never really found it. We don't have that guy that it's, hey, you leave him open, the three's going up, and it's probably going in. Joey Hauser's that guy for us. And when he has days like he did against Gonzaga, where you know he's not in there to play post-defense, Joey Hauser isn't in there to feed him on the low block. He's not in there to run the point at the top of the key. None of that. He's in there to set a screen, pop out, catch and shoot, and make it. That's why Joey Hauser gets minutes for MSU. Yeah, he can rebound a little bit. Yeah, he was better defensively against Kentucky than he was against Gonzaga. There's no doubt about it. Sissoko was a little better off with the fouls this time around, and I think Tom kind of learned his lesson to an extent after that Gonzaga game where it's like, hey, you know, Sissoko, I think with four or five minutes left in the second half, got his fourth foul. Like, he he played both overtimes with four. He played with that fourth for quite a while and never caught the fifth. But I think Izzo learned a lesson a little bit from Gonzaga where Sissoko got the fourth, and Tom was like, fuck, man, I, I this guy, I need him. If we're, we got to keep it close as long as we can, and then he's going to play until he gets that fifth, we need him in there. I think Tom kind of learned his lesson in that aircraft carrier game and went, I, I don't want him to foul out, you know, fucking if he does, we're probably toast. But I also don't want to just give a lead away. I also don't want it to be Hauser and Kohler and boom, it's a 10-point Kentucky lead because, you know, I was saving Sissoko. You got to play him while you have him. Similar to that Jaron Jackson, God forbid I bring it up, but the Jaron Jackson Syracuse game a few years ago where it's like, dude, I get he's in foul trouble, but like if you lose, that, that does, you don't like get more fouls next game. If you save a foul against Kentucky, you don't get six against Villanova. So I think Tom kind of learned from himself, which was good to see. I mean, anybody learning from their own mistakes and improving, that's what life's all about. When it's your favorite basketball team's head coach, that's even better. So credit to Tom for kind of throwing him back in there and saying, you know what, Madi, fucking try not to foul, but we got to let it ride, dude. We got to let it ride. That's where Hauser can be Joey Hauser. Like, if you're asking him to do what he had to do against Gonzaga, you're asking him to guard Drew Timmy every single possession, and you know all Gonzaga wants to do is feed Timmy in the low post. That's not why Joey Hauser's on the team. That's not where he's at his best.
We talk about it with football all of the time, with quarterbacks all of the time. These offensive coordinators, they want to draw up offenses that they think is going to work. But at the end of the day, is that the smart move? Or should you draw something up that works for the guy you're coaching, that works for your quarterback? Joey Hauser, ideally, listen, ideally Joey Hauser was filthy lockdown in post-defense. Ideally, he operates on the low block. Ideally, he can dribble and run the point. Ideally, he, ideally everybody on Michigan State's team and then the front court is a fucking savage. They're all Matty Sissoko, ideally. But guess what? They just aren't. So asking Hauser, even though you might need him to, asking Hauser to do things that just aren't in his skill set, that aren't in his arsenal. Like Joey Hauser, when, when Izzo goes, hey, Joe, need you on Timmy for the next 15 minutes, he's probably thinking, why the fuck am I guarding this guy? This isn't why I'm on the team. This isn't where I'm at my best. You have to put your players in the position for them best to succeed. He didn't do that against Gonzaga, Tom Izzo, that is. He did a lot better job of it against Kentucky. You don't need to guard Thebwe or Nshibwe or Thashibwe. You don't need to guard him. Don't worry about him. Play your game. Go get some rebounds. Guard your man. Yep, they're not going to feed your guy, though, anywhere near the level you got fed against Timmy. Guard your guy. Crash the glass. And when we got the ball on offense, find a little open floor and knock down your threes. And Joey Hauser was fucking unbelievable. So credit to him. I... I'm guilty of it. He's like the first guy I'll go after on MSU's team most nights. He proved me wrong, and I'm happy to eat my words. I, if he does that every single game, obviously he's probably not going to rip off 20 every night. But if he can give you 10, 12, 14 points, knock down a couple threes every night, Joey Hauser, nobody's going to complain about that. And don't forget that other big shot. I think it was the first overtime where Akins misses the putback. Sissoko gets the rebound. Hauser catches it at the three. Pump fakes, one dribble, knocks down the two to cut the lead from three to one. That was a massive shot. I think there was a minute left. If he misses that shot, Michigan State, it's probably a good chance they lose that game. So he hit some fucking big ones. He obviously scored a lot of points, pulled down some rebounds. Good for Joey Hauser, and it's good to see. I want them to succeed. I don't, like, root for failure for any of these guys. Like I said, I want them all to be fucking Naismith candidates because if they are, that probably means State wins a lot of games and I'm a happy guy and we all get to celebrate in confetti. So credit to Hauser. He was unreal. Mati Sissoko, I, I, you can't say enough about him. Um, outside of Hauser, you know, the reason we won the game. Uh, he's – the step that he's taken in one offseason is like – fucking mind-blowing it really is and you knew from day one Sissoko had potential I mean when you come in looking like a redwood tree it's like oh shit this guy might be a pretty decent basketball player right when you can dunk standing on your tippy toes you might have something there and then you can get up and down the floor like he doesn't have a ton of weight on him it's not like he gasses himself out five minutes into the game he can run a little bit he can move he, he doesn't mind going up and down with you he doesn't mind the track meet. The announcer said it. This is turning into a track meet at the end of the first half yesterday. The alley-oop, he's been an absolute beauty as a lob threat. We saw that a bunch, especially in that first half against Gonzaga. And again, one, right when Thashibwe went out against Kentucky in the overtimes yet or two days ago, we saw Sissoko take advantage of that, especially the double overtime to ice Kentucky. Back-to-back -back possessions, Tyson Walker lobs it up to Sissoko. And you throw that shit up there. I understand Kentucky's got other big men that are good. It's Kentucky. Everybody on the team's good. There aren't guys that look like Mati Sissoko. Like, I don't care what you were ranked in high school. I don't care if you went to Oak Hill Academy or where you came from. 
plain and simple, forget college basketball. There aren't a ton of guys in the NBA, in the world, that look quite like Mati Sissoko, and he's gotten so much better at coordinating. Because I think he had a little bit of the, like, puppy dog syndrome where, like, you're too big for your own good and he couldn't catch, wasn't super coordinated, didn't really see him go up or be that lob threat last year. And all of a sudden, it's pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll, run the rim, and you're going to get open. And even if you're not open, Hogard or Tyson are just going to throw it up so high that nobody else but you can reach it, and you just fucking yam that stuff down. He's been unreal. And also protecting the rim, right? He He's our guy. Malik Hall, I love him. I would love for him to get more touches, and I love him defensively. He's not much of a rim protector. Hauser, Kohler, Cooper, nobody really on the team's much of a rim protector aside from Sissoko. So he's been, I mean, he's been a godsend. Without him, this team has nothing. This team's got absolutely nothing, right? So shout out to Tom Izzo, because I think a lot of people gave him some grief. Where last year, we were hoping to see a step from Madi. Last year, I think people had hoped he would be the guy he's been through three this year. Wasn't quite, I think he did improve a little bit more, right? He got a couple more minutes. He's starting to figure it out. But Jesus, coming through the offseason where Tom Izzo didn't really go make any moves in the transfer portal, didn't go get another rim protector or lob threat. And I think people were kind of questioning that because the guards for this team were never an issue. Hogard, Tyson Walker, Akins, Pierre Brooks, like you're fucking, you're, you're, we'll be all right. We'll be all right as far as the guard position is concerned. But where is the front court? I mean, you know Jackson Kohler, you know Joey Hauser, and you know Carson Cooper. Those guys aren't going to play a ton of defense. Those guys aren't going to block a ton of shots. They're going to struggle when they play the Oscar Thashiboys of the world. You don't have anything backing up, Mahdi. And even still, forget backing up, Mahdi. You don't have an alternative to him. I mean, based on what we saw last year, it was a bold move from Tom Izzo to kind of put his nuts on the table and go, no, no, we're going to ride with this guy. The guy I recruited, no, he's going to be our fucking center. He's going to be a good player. He's going to be a problem. Tom Izzo knew it. None of us did. He bet on himself and he bet on his guy. And my God, my God, bet of the year for Tom Izzo. Put that on the sports book. Bet of the year. Mati Sissoko emerging as a star in the front court for Michigan State. It's going to be interesting because, listen, we're going to go into Big Ten play. You're going to start banging bodies. It's going to be physical. God forbid he gets injured. He goes up for those lob threats. He's off his feet a good amount. He does have that lanky body. Um, and not only that, like he's going to get into foul trouble at some point. We saw it against Gonzaga. It's the reason we lost the game. It, it, it is. It just is. When he was in the game, we were a totally different team. And being a team that doesn't have a ton of outside shooting, that scares me even more. We're going to play a, a schedule, a tough schedule. Mati Sissoko is going to get into foul trouble. That's when we're going to have to find ways to win. If he's on the floor, I love this team against anybody. I love Hogard, Tyson Walker, Malik Hall, Sissoko, and maybe a Joey Hauser. I love this team against anybody. Sissoko goes out with foul trouble, and now Hauser's your five. That's where it's like, all right, we're going to need to figure some shit out. That's when we're going to find things out, not only about the team, but also about Izzo, because Izzo's not an idiot. There's a reason you're Tom Izzo. There's a reason he's a fucking legend. I think he's already a Hall of Famer. When he said we're keeping Sissoko, when he doubled down on that and he didn't go get anybody from the portal, you got to have some idea of, hey, 
Let's say Sissoko is the best player in the country. He's the best big man in America. You got to have the thought in the back of your mind, A, he could get hurt, or B, he's going to foul out at some point. What's the answer? So that'll be interesting to th- interesting to see. But my God, when he plays, he's fucking – dude, he, he's very good. He's very good. And we knew the backcourt would be. We knew Hogard would be a dog. Tyson Walker's been good. He stepped up late in overtime, hit a couple big shots. The one mid-range with the guy fucking putting his palm on his tongue. That was a (laughs) – I was going to say it's too aggressive of a bad word, but that was a hell of a shot. Um, Hogard is just unbelievable with the basketball, getting into the lane, passing, finding Sissoko, finding Hauser, finding the shooters. I mean, he's – He's obviously not Cassius Winston. Uh, not many people are or ever will be, but he's been great at just every time it feels like he makes the right pass, right, A.J. Hogarth? Jaden Akins, he had a pretty nice game. There were a couple moments where it was like it felt like he was on the precipice of having that breakout because he hasn't had that game yet. The game Joey Hauser had yesterday, he's had a couple times. He had a couple of those last year. He's had some of those before where he's just raining threes and it's like fucking thank God for Joey Hauser. Jaden Akins hasn't had that game yet, but it feels like it's coming. I know a lot of people, myself included, have said Jaden Akins is going to be an issue this year. Watch out. And he hasn't quite had that game yet, but it feels like it's on the horizon. I like Pierre Brooks. I think he's getting better. I think he is a welcomed addition too because he can kind of play that guard role, the guard wing role, but he's a big body and he'll go get rebounds. Like If that day comes where Suzoko fouls out, I think you can play a lineup that's Hauser, Hall, Brooks. And that's, you know, you don't have the traditional center in Suzoko, but that's a pretty big lineup. Brooks can man up. Brooks can get a guard and he can body people down low. He's a thick fucking kid. Like he's built like a power forward a little bit. So I like Brooks's game. Didn't see much of Trey Holloman. Um, you know, is what it is. It's tough. Like that, he's in a tough spot, dude. Where our guards are deep. We run deep. Jaden Akins like comes off the bench and he's fucking really good. So I'm sure we'll see more of Holloman, but that game Izzo didn't want to play him. And obviously it worked out. He had it right. But man, what a game. Michigan State, I think, is going to be good. And it's easy to say that now. But listen, you have a guy like Sissoko where he's the exact type of guy that gives Michigan State problems every year. Just those big men that are like oversized, freakishly sized. And he's got some athleticism to him. He can hit that little, it's like a eight-foot turnaround jump shot. He can hit that. He's an absurd lob threat. He plays defense. He runs the floor. Like, Madi is going to give pretty much everybody problems. I mean, he had a great game going against Fashibwe. What the fuck? Who's who's next? Who's going to be better than that? Who's going to give Madi more of a difficult time than him? So he's going to be an issue. Holgard is going to pick defenses apart all year. Tyson Walker, the aggression from him, it's a beautiful thing. We said it at the end of last season. I said it, I think, last week on the pod. Like Tyson, if he realizes, when he realizes, oh, shit, I'm good at basketball, that's when he's at a, had, at his best, and he did a good job against Kentucky. And the rest of the guards, the depth, Tom Izzo, he was unreal. It's going to be a fun season. I'm excited to heat up and get into big-time play. I mean, I'm excited for Villanova Friday. That's why I fucking love Michigan State. We play Gonzaga on a carrier. The next game, number four, Kentucky. The next game, Villanova, Michigan State at the Breslin. Come on, dude. Come on with that. That's why you come to Michigan State. That right there. Everything, it just means more. It's bigger. It's better here. 
And listen, I know I haven't said a word about Michigan basketball. I haven't watched a minute, full disclosure. I know they had the run-in with Eastern, kind of a close game in Detroit. Um, they're smashing. I got the game on in the background. They're smashing Pitt by 21 right now. Look, Michigan's ranked 20th. They're about to go move to 3-0. It's going to be another year of what people in the state of Michigan love best. Michigan, Michigan State vying for the Big Ten title. Michigan, Michigan State being two of the premier basketball programs in America. Michigan, Michigan State being the best two-sport rivalry in the college football world. College football, college sports world. It is what it is. It is what it is. Michigan's going to be good again. And they thought State was going to go to sleep? Fuck no. You're going to have your hands full with us too. And I can't wait. That's when college basketball is at its best. That's at least as an MSU fan. And I feel like it's got to be the same as a Michigan fan. When those games, when it's a Saturday and it's CBS, U of M, MSU, 1 p.m. tip-off, and it's there's numbers by both teams' names, that's when you're like, dude, I want to win this game, all of that stuff. But you just soak it in going into those games. Like, I fucking love being a part of this. I said it before the football game on Halloween, but it's the same thing as we're getting into basketball. I love that our two teams, it feels like kind of dictate the Big Ten or at least have a chance to year in and year out. It's unfucking real. All right, let me take a quick break. We just went on basketball for a little while, but man, I'm fired up and I haven't spent really any time on basketball yet. So I'm excited. I'm excited for the season. We'll take a quick break. I want to talk about the Lions this week. Um, I want to talk. I don't really want to talk Michigan football. I said what I was going to say. They're playing. Who are they playing? Illinois. They're going to smash them. That's it. They're going to smash them. That's it. Maybe a couple minutes on MSU Indiana, but it's same deal. MSU Indiana. It's same deal as the last couple of weeks. Indiana. I don't think is very good. Michigan state. I don't know. We're okay. Yeah. Let's win. Let's get to bowl eligible. Let's run the ball, throw it to fucking Jaden Reed and Keon Coleman. If that hasn't been made apparent to you, Jay Johnson, throw the ball to your two best players and things typically work out. The offensive line's getting better. And you know, I hate to say it, although I don't really because it's fucking Indiana, but you know, it's Indiana. It's Indiana. I feel like we should be able to beat Indiana. It's not going to be the end of the world if we lose. The end of the world happened when we lost that game to Minnesota. It's been the up and up since then. Sucked losing to Michigan, but, you know, we've bounced back from that. We've bounced back from that horrible tunnel incident. It's been pretty good, all things considered, for the green and white. I'd like to beat Indiana. I'd like to be bowl eligible. I'd like for these guys, the young ones especially, to get a couple extra practices. I'd like to have a Michigan State game to turn on sometime in December. I would enjoy that. So, you know what? Go out. Let's beat Indiana. And then let's go beat Penn State after that. As far as breaking down the game, it's not important enough. That's how I feel about it. This game just isn't important enough because even though we, even if we do lose and oh shit, we might not make a bowl game after all. Okay. That's got, that sucks, but you know, I'll probably forget about it like two hours after the game ends. It's just for me growing up and my high school years, like when you really start to get into sports, my high school years and my college years at MSU those years we were playing for so much more than, oh, let's make a bowl game. Where now it's like, I understand the season. It's been really disappointing. And it's great that it's turned around the way it has. And I want the positive vibes and momentum to carry on. But I I was getting up for big tens. I was getting up for beating Michigan, for beating Ohio State, for beating Penn State. I was getting up for winning the Cotton Bowl. I was getting up for the Rose Bowl. After all of that, year after year, and then what we did last year, 
it's tough to get up for Indiana to make the quick lane bowl as much as I'd love that. Cause I'll be home in Detroit when that game is played and you bet your ass I'll be at Ford field. It's just tough. It's, it's, it's tough to get there emotionally, especially when college basketball is going on. All of a sudden the lions are kind of making things interesting. And for the first time in the history of the pod, I'm going to answer some of your guys' questions. I threw it up on the Instagram and on the Twitter today, and I want to do it. I really want to, I want to get people involved. I want to get the people that listen involved. So I don't know, we'll three, four, maybe five. We'll answer some questions. We'll talk about some shit you guys want to talk about. I said it in the post. It doesn't even need to be sports. Doesn't need to be Detroit. You could be talking about how do you feel about pop tarts? Let's get into it. Let me tell you anything. So we'll do that little, little break. We'll do some lions and then uh, we'll answer some of your guys' questions and we'll get out of here. You know, the Lions are in a pretty interesting spot because it's been a bit of a roller coaster this year, right? We started off and typically as Lions fans do, or at least half of us, people are throwing them in the garbage before one snap of football has been played. And then they play the Eagles, who were probably a top three team, what, Bills, Vikings, Chiefs, Eagles, at least at the top four. Um, They play the Eagles. They keep it close. It's a dogfight till the end. They make a little bit of a comeback in a game that every fucking Lions team, as long as I've been alive, just rolls over like a dead dog and loses by 20, they come back and make it interesting. And then the Vikings game, same deal. They kind of blow it, but it's like, hey, shit, we might have something here. They beat Washington. Okay, let's work. And then it goes off the rails for a few weeks. People are talking about, get rid of Dan Campbell. He was never going to work. He's not the guy. Fucking losers. And then they come back with a couple more wins. Now, I'll admit it. After what game was it? Who'd we get smashed by? The Pats game? I was like, all right, yeah, we're bad. Yeah, we're bad. We're not going to win a playoff game. We're not going to make a playoff game. Forget winning it. Um, we're really fucking bad. The Seahawks lost before that killed. But they getting smoked 29 zip by the Patriots, that's when it was like, ah, we're no good. Yeah, we're no good. Um, and then you lose to the Cowboys in another bad game. You lose to the Dolphins. And by the time we had lost to the Dolphins, I think everybody is safe to say kind of mailed it in. Like, this season's over. Let's wrap it up. Let's get a top three pick. Uh, let's use some of this cap space. And I don't know, win more than two games next year, I guess. That was kind of it. And then they go. They beat Green Bay, who's been struggling. But, again, I've said this on here before. I know Green Bay's bad, and Aaron Rodgers has not been the Aaron Rodgers we've come to know. But that game in Detroit, that game is notorious for the struggling team's launching point. Green Bay's been bad. Aaron Rodgers can't figure it out. Oh, but worry not. They played Detroit. They killed them. And now next thing you know, they're in the NFC Championship. Historically, that's what that game is. But no, 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 no. They found a way. They got it done. They almost blew it. They almost blew it. They almost made it the Lions to a fucking T in that game. And they did. They figured out a way, and they got it done. And then the following week, the Bears are surging. Justin Fields has looked great. Chicago's kind of buzzing that, you know what, there's been a little back and forth. Last year wasn't great, but we've got the new regime in with Ryan Pace, Matt Eberflus, Justin Fields in year two. He can fucking run. He can throw. The guy has an OKO line and zero weapons. And he makes plays. The Chicago Bears, who are synonymous with the word anemic, all of a sudden score fucking points. And it's being celebrated as it should in Chicago. And you still should be fired up. And it's kind of the same deal. Here come the Detroit Lions. Yeah, they just beat the Patriots, I mean the Packers. But their season's over. They're playing for a pick. 
The Bears are in the same spot where it's like, shit, I know we're not good. I know we're in the rebuild. This is year one, but we beat the Lions today. We're tied for a wild card spot. The Bears, I'm sure, are looking around going, fuck rebuilding. Let's win. We can win. We have Justin Fields. Win the fucking game. Against the Lions of anybody else? Yeah, let's win the fucking game. And the Lions go to Soldier in some bear down weather, right? Cold as fucking balls. I'm sure it was windy. And they go in, they're down 14 points, and they scratch and they claw. And again, in a position where Lions teams of old, and by of old, I mean the last 24 years straight, in a position where all of those teams roll over and die. You know what, Justin Fields, you're up 14. It's the third quarter. Just beat us by 28. Uh Uh-uh. This team fights. This team's battles. Jeff Okuda makes a play. Aiden Hutchinson makes a couple plays. Amon Ra has himself a great game. DeAndre Swift is back. The offensive line doing everything they need to do. Jared Goff didn't play out of his mind, but he played well enough, and the Lions keep it going. We make a couple fucking field goals, if you can believe that, and the Lions scratch, claw, tie it up, and end up winning this thing in Chicago. That was Chicago's game to win. The storyline, the narrative, the momentum amongst either team, where each team was going, even though we had just beaten Green Bay, it still felt like the Lions' trajectory was, let's go get a pick and see if we can't get Bryce Young. And the Bears were going, yeah, I get we're rebuilding, but you know what? Picks aren't guaranteed. We're kind of frisky. Let's go win. Let's see if we can't sneak into a wild card spot or at least keep the good times rolling as long as you can. They thought, I'm sure of it. They thought, oh, the Lions, we're going to steam them. We thought, as fans at least, like, Fucking A. Fields is the exact type of guy that gives us issues. I mean, we couldn't do a thing against Geno Smith or Bailey Zappi. What are we going to do against surging Justin Fields? And I don't know where the Lions went. Culture win, big time for Dan Campbell. His first two-game win streak, first road win. First time the Lions have won a game after being down 14 or more since 2003, I believe. Massive win. Massive win. And above all of that, You won the game because Jeff Okuda is making plays, because Aiden Hutchinson is making plays, because Amon Ra has been a menace. You won the game because the guys that have been drafted in the last two, three years that you were counting on, that you were relying on to be the cornerstones of hopefully an ascent of the Detroit Lions, you won because they delivered, because they did what you drafted them to do. They didn't, no mediocreness, mediocrity, fucking A. They didn't win because of that. They didn't win because they blew it, because they played poorly. They won the game because the young guys that you count on to perform at the highest of levels on your team did just that, and they beat a good team. They beat a good quarterback. I don't know about good team. They beat a very good quarterback. And listen, I know Cairo Santos shanking that thing is pretty much why we won, but Justin Fields, after he threw that pick six, they could have done the same thing. They could have rolled over and died. I'm sure it sucked the air out of Soldier. But the very next drive, he comes back and houses one like 60 yards, just the fastest guy on the planet, just right up the middle of the Lions defense. See ya, everybody. I mean, it's not like the Lions battled back and now the Bears just said, all right, here you guys go. The Bears wanted that shit too. The Bears fought for that shit too. It was a great fucking game. Bears-Lions, who would have thunk it was a great game? But it's a culture win. And we talked about the debate. Oh, man, that sucks that they won that game. That's stupid. If you're if you're a Lions fan and you're cheering for that win, you're an idiot because now there goes C.J. Stroud or there goes Bryce Young. You know what's not guaranteed? A, getting either of those guys. B, getting them and then them actually being good. 
You know what is guaranteed? People in the locker room and in the organization feeling way better after winning a game like that. Aiden Hutchinson, Amon Ra, Jared Goff even, Penny Sewell, everybody gaining invaluable experience. Winning close fucking games where, listen, dude, it, it didn't look good for a little bit there. Sticking it out, weathering the storm, and finding out we can do this. Because the next time now you get down, it's not going to be, all right, let's pack up and go. It's going to be, whoa, 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 whoa. Remember what we did at Soldier against Fields? Why the fuck? We can do that again. Why wouldn't we be able to? We did that shit two weeks ago. Let's do it again. It's a culture win. It gets people to believe in Dan Campbell. And when you have a guy and his whole spiel is, you know, riling up the troops, fighting for each other. He's a player's coach. He's not much of an X's and O's guy. When that's your mantra as a head coach, you need guys in that locker room to be like, you know what? I know Dan isn't an offensive savant, but he's fucking right. The stuff he's saying is real. Like we keep working, we keep grinding. The wins are going to come along. People buy in. We've got a young team. It's only going to get younger. We got five picks in the top 65. It's only going to get younger. We've got cap space. Dan Campbell, that message needs to come through. And he could be the most inspiring speaker, head coach in the fucking world. But when you lose every time you go out, that message wears thin. It's like, all right, I get it. Let's play for each other. Coach, we lose every week. You could say anything. Coach, we lose every week. You brought back my grandmother from the dead. Coach. We lose every week. How do I believe in you? You win some games, whether it's against the struggling Packers, the Bears. Sure, they're not teams that are probably poised to win the Super Bowl. I don't give a fuck. Divisional rivals. Teams that I'm sure, I'm sure of it. Aaron Rodgers was like, all right, relax. We play the Lions this week. Teams that I'm sure thought they were going to roll over you and keep their thing going or get their thing going. Massive wins. And now that we're here, look, I wrote the Lions off. We lost to the Dolphins, and it was like, pack it up. Let's go get some picks. I wrote them off. We're sitting at three and six. We're a game out of the wild card spot. And I'm not saying we're going to make a wild card spot. I'm not saying we're going to do anything in the playoffs. But look, we're three and six. It's within reach. It's a game. We've got the New York Giants this week. Yeah, they're seven and two. Do you believe in the New York Giants? Do you? Do you think the New York Giants are some unbeatable entity? Are you afraid of the New York Giants and Daniel Jones? Do you think they're about to march to the Super Bowl? Do you? Because I don't, and I don't think they do either, and I don't think anybody within a 100-mile radius of the Big Apple does either. Yeah, they're 7-2. and two. Who fucking cares? Now we've got a game where it's going to get interesting for the Lions because if they drop this, this is a fulcrum game. If they drop this one against New York Sunday, it's like, all right, you know, that was fun. Yeah, those two weeks were good. It was cool. Won a couple times. Back to the drawing board. Let's scout some draft picks. Figure out who we're going to take. You beat the Giants on Sunday. You just beat a team who was 7-2, who is doing everything they can to make the playoffs, who I'm sure they fully believe they will make the playoffs. I don't think they think they're going to win the Super Bowl, but I'm sure they think they'll make the playoffs, and they should. You're 7-2. and two. Of course you think you're going to make the playoffs. You could beat a team who's 7-2 and two and thinks they're going to make the playoffs or is confident, is dead set on doing so. That's three in a row. Another road win. And all of a sudden, if the cards fall in your favor, you're tied for a wild card spot. Then things get interesting. You start to look around and it's like, wait a sec. 
Jamison Williams is going to come play football pretty soon, either Thanksgiving, maybe early December. Jamison Williams is going to get in the mix here pretty shortly. And we we need him. Dude, the wide receivers are running fucking thin. We need Jamo bad. Three in a row. Think about the games we lost early on. We got smoked by the Pats, but we weren't getting killed. We lost to the Vikings in a close one that we kind of blew. Lost to the Eagles in a close one. Lost to Seattle in a close one. Lost to the Dolphins in a close one. It's not like we've just been getting outclassed every time the Lions take the field. It's like we're in games, and that's what's made it sting that much more. We're in all these games, and we just can't quite get it across the finish line. You beat the Giants Sunday, I think the tide changes. I don't think anybody's going, look out for the Lions. These guys are going to make a Super Bowl run. Look out for the Lions in the playoffs. But it goes from, fuck it, let's get picks, to absolutely, who cares about the picks? Win as many times as you can, and let's see. Because it's going to be better for the future than maybe or maybe not getting a quarterback who maybe or maybe not will be good. Winning games, people believing in Dan Campbell, proving that the formula fucking works, riling up the fan base, whether it's for later in the season and maybe a wild card appearance or next year is more valuable than, oh, maybe you'll get the guy who will maybe be okay. It's much more valuable. If you beat the Giants Sunday, I'm back. I'm back on the fucking train. You can bet your ass I'm putting out a shirt before Thanksgiving if we win Sunday. You can bet your ass we're getting another Lions shirt, and it's clean. I've been sitting on the design since probably September, but things went off the rails. I didn't want to do anything about it. You get back on track. We are pumping up the fucking tires going into Thanksgiving, and I know it's the Bills, but, hey, it's Thanksgiving in Detroit. You won three in a row. The place is going to be rocking. Winning's better than losing. At the end of the day, when it comes to the Detroit Lions and what's going on this year, you can talk about the picks. You can talk about the quarterbacks. You can talk about whatever you want. Winning is better than losing. Plain and simple. As a fan, as a player, for the coaches, the front office, winning is better than losing. I don't care that it'll only be our fourth. I don't care that we still may only be a game out of the wild card spot if we win. Winning is better than losing for this year and for next year and for the year after that. Winning is better than losing. Go out, beat the Giants Sunday. It's the fucking New York Giants. It's Daniel Jones. Beat him. Quick break. I'll answer some of your questions. All right, let's get into it. Pretty excited to do this. All right, first one. Here we go. The first ever fan-submitted question or topic in the history of the Detroiter. Soon to be a weekly segment on the show. First one comes from Lily Hassano. Shout out, Lily. Was good with it. Dylan Larkin. Is he a true Detroit captain and leader? Yeah, Lily. Yeah, Lily. Come on, Lily. Come on, Lily. I love you to death, sweetie, but come on. Did you see the play he made against the Kings like a month ago? hustled back, open net, uh, gets the puck out of whoever stick it was, and the Red Wings go down and Sunquist buries one and we steal a point. Yeah, he's the true captain. Yeah, he's a leader. I mean, I understand he's not Connor McDavid, but Dylan Larkin's fucking filthy. He plays a 200-foot game. He gets the boys going. He's a hometown kid. The guy's like 27 and is somehow in his ninth year, which I don't understand. Yeah, he's a leader. Yes, Dylan Larkin is a true captain. And yes, he is the man for the job leading us through this rebuild. And sooner or later, this team's going to go from dropping three in a row 
This team's going to go from losing to the Ducks last night with me at the fucking game and throwing airheaded passes across the front of your crease that lead to a 2-on-0 goal in overtime in a game you should have won in regulation, Tyler Bertuzzi. This team's going to graduate from that pretty soon, and Dylan Larkin's going to be the guy at the helm when it does happen. Dylan Larkin's nasty. Dylan Larkin is a leader. He's, he's just everything about him I love. I love him. Thank you for the question, Lily. I love you. Um, Tuck coming for bowl eligibility. Yeah, dude. Fucking no kidding, bro. I don't know if that was a troll, but who cares? Won't say the name because I don't. What does Michigan State? This one, Steven Perino. Is that a sparkling water brand? Perino? Those green, you know what I mean? Perrier. Sorry. Sorry, Steve. Hand up. My bad. Perrier is what I was thinking of. What does Michigan State have to do in order to beat Indiana this weekend? I don't know. I mean, the defense needs to keep it up, I would say. Stop the run. Make whoever it is their quarterback beat you. I don't trust Indiana's QB. Michael Penix is in Washington. Yeah, dude, I don't fucking trust whoever the hell their quarterback is. Stop the run. Play like you've been. The defense is the reason the state started to win some games. The offense, you know, it's all right. They're certainly not why we've been winning, though. Jay Johnson is still, I think, very fucking suspect the way he calls it. Our run game is suspect. The only thing that really works consistently is throwing it up to Jaden Reed and Keon Coleman, and we like don't do it for whatever reason. We know that it works. We know that Keon Coleman and Jaden Reed are simply better than whoever it is that's covering them, and we're like, you know what? Let's only throw it to them like four times a day. I don't get it. Beat Indiana to beat Penn State, you stop the run defensively. Give the ball to your best players on offense. I understand it's important to run the ball, but if it's not working, quit forcing it. Throw it, dude. You've got guys that can make plays that aren't necessarily in the backfield. So that's what I think you got to do to beat them. We'll see. I mean, uh, pressuring the quarterback, I think that's helped. Avery Dunn had a big game last week. He kind of came onto the scene. Hopefully he keeps it going. Like, there's so many different things, but I think the things that have toasted us, or at least the first half of the season when State was just getting – embarrassed really is the best word for it. We couldn't stop the run. We couldn't run it. And he, despite that, we still tried to run it. I think it's why we lost at Michigan the way that game went. Keon Coleman was unguardable. We just quit throwing it to him. Why? Don't get it. J.J. McCarthy didn't play very well. We'd let Corum just pound it down the field all fucking night. Why? Put 20 in the box if you have to. Don't get it. So that's how you beat Indiana. That's how you beat Penn State in my mind. Obviously, I'm not a doctor, so don't take my word for it. Thank you for the question. All right, this is my guy. This is my guy here, Aiden DG. All-time Izzo era MSU basketball starting five. Do I dare say Mati Sissoko at the five? <laughs> the way this guy's been fucking playing, I just might. We'll go Sissoko at the five. Hell, why not, dude? I'm feeling the vibes. Jaron at the four. I'll never forget watching him play the first time and being like, what is that thing? Where'd he come from? Uh, Cassius at the one. I mean, that's easy. That's not even. Denzel at the two. This team is filthy. Who do you put at the three, though? Gary Harris, probably. Oh, my fucking God. Dude, there's so many good guys. The point guard position alone, it's like that's – I don't even know if that's fair. I don't even know if it's fair if I say Denzel at the two because he was you know, he was a point at State, but I want him to play with Cassius. That team is fucking gross, dude. Maybe sub out Mahdi just because, you know, he's pretty new onto the scene. Tillman was nasty. Adrian Payne, 
rest in peace. That's sad, but he was so good. Brandon Dawson was solid. Draymond, like you could form five all-time MSU starting fives. Honest to God. Honest to fucking God. Thank you for the question, Aiden. You're my boy. All right, this one comes Twitter. Stizzle A. Where are you from, Stizzle A? What, what kind of name is that? Um, appreciate the question, Stiz. You're my guy for asking the question. Does Miguel Cabrera go into the Hall of Fame as a Tiger or as a Marlin? Tiger, right? And unbi- like unbiasedly Tiger, right? I feel like it's got to be Tiger. I don't know. I know he won the World Series with the Marlins, but I feel like when people think Miguel Cabrera, you think Marlins. When Miguel Cabrera became Miguel was with the Tigers, winning the Triple Crown, just being the best hitter like ever, every single season for five of them or whatever it was. I feel like it's got to be Tiger. I don't know. He was on great teams. It's fucked up that those 2010 to 2015 Tiger teams never won. It still it still makes – but God damn it, they were good. God damn it, he was good. God damn it, the Tigers were good. People tuned in. Miguel Cabrera Hall of Fame, he's wearing the old English D. He has to be. Thank you for the question, Stiz. All right, Bernie Dude <laughs> at AJ Tweets. Thank you for the question. All right, his thing. Here's one of my favorite debates after a few beers with the boys. Do you think you could feel the competitive NFL team from NBA players excluding the offensive line? Yeah, bro. Yeah, dude. The wide receiver position would be, I mean, right? The wide receiver position. You'd fucking just throw it up every play. Keon Coleman and Jaden Reed, give them the ball? (laughs) How about LeBron James and Russell Westbrook? Yeah. I think they'd be okay. The only issue is we're excluding offensive line. Dude, linebackers, no problem. Defensive line. Can you imagine the defensive ends? Giannis Atatemkumpumpo coming off the edge, rushing your quarterback. The guy takes one step, and it's a strip sack. Some of the safety play we'd be getting, the cornerback play would be unfucking fair. I mean, NBA guys are just taller, probably smarter because they quit football to play in the NBA. Athletes. They're just taller, smarter NFL guys. Like, wait, I can play a sport where I don't get slammed into by 250-pound dudes every single play? Yeah, I'm going to go do that instead and make a fuck ton of money and play for 20 years and be able to use my legs when I'm done and my brain at that. So, yeah, I think you could. The only issue, the only tricky part is you'd have to find an NBA guy who played a quarterback in high school. I'd be the only tough part. But the thing is, there's got to be one. There's got to be one. I mean – Right? There's got to be one guy who can throw a football halfway decently. That'd be the only thing that would hold the NBA team back. But I do think you could feel the pretty damn good NFL team from NBA players. <laughs> All right. And then we'll do this one last. This one's from Day Day at Markham246. Shout out Day Day. Favorite all-time sports moment and favorite moments from each one of the Detroit sports franchises. Um, for all-time sports moments, I'll do one that's different than a Detroit moment, right? Because I feel like, I mean, I don't know. That's fucking tough, dude. There are some great ones. All right. We'll do a favorite all-time sports moment. Probably the Duke MSU game, even though we didn't win the Natty, but 2019, the Duke MSU game. It's my favorite day of college. Favorite, I think, favorite sporting event I've ever watched. Kick, trouble with the snap definitely is up there. Um, the Red Wings winning the cup in 08 is there. That would be the Red Wings moment, obviously, but probably MSU Duke. I'll never forget that day. It was the feeling, the feeling, not only that day leading up. And then obviously during the game and after they won, 
But the feeling that carried around East Lansing for the next week after that day, I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. It was, it, it was fucking crazy. I like, I don't even know. I don't know. It felt everybody. You could just tell everybody just was just like ascended, elevated, was just buzzing over the final four. It was something I've never experienced. And I probably won't ever experience again, which sucks, but that's probably my favorite sports moment ever. Favorite moments from each of the Detroit franchises, Tigers, um, the Maglio home run. That's my first ever like memory of sports is Maglio hitting the dinger. I know exactly where I was, who I was with, what I was doing. That's like my first, my brain turned on that day. The Maglio dinger to send us to the World Series in 06. Red Wings is tough. Obviously the cup in 08, but I feel like that's pretty cliche. I would say, fuck, that Darren Helm goal against Chicago. Was that, what year was that? Was that 2011, 2012? Maybe 13? I can't even remember the year. But that goal at the Joe against Chicago in game seven, that was... uh, that was fucking special. Or maybe that was the Stanley Cup. That was 2009, the following year, right? Yeah, I think that was 09, the following year to send us to the Cup. That goal was unfucking real. Um, as far as Pistons, this is going to be my thinnest category, dude. I don't have many Pistons great memories. Getting swept by the Bucks. <laughs> I don't know. Blake dropping 50 against Philadelphia, but I didn't watch the game. So... I don't know. I don't know what my Pistons' favorite memory is. I went to a game they played Oklahoma State. It was pretty fun one time. I don't. I genuinely don't know. I don't remember them really being good when I was younger. I didn't watch a ton of Pistons basketball, and then they've been fucking bad ever since. So, um, favorite Pistons moment ah, when they built LCA, and I was like, "Whoa, this place is cool." Uh, favorite Lions moment though. That one's tough. Uh, all the games I've gone to them, they've won. The last one being I went to the Chargers game in like 2021, 2019. I can't remember which year, and they won electric. Anytime the Lions win and you're at the game, it's fucking awesome. Other than that, would love to say a playoff win, but, you know, that doesn't happen. Um, probably beating the Cowboys. Was it 20? What year was that? When we were down all game and then Stafford just put on a fucking clinic at the end, he had that throw to Chris Durham down the sideline like 45 yards. And then I think it was the fake spike run it in game. You remember that? Was that 2015 or 2013? I can't remember what year that was, but I was at that game and that shit was crazy. That's probably my favorite Lions memory. Good question though. It's tough, dude. It's tough. There's so many now and it's so so blended together and they've all been so bad for so long. (laughs) They've all been bad the last seven years that these memories, I'm like, what was my favorite game when I was nine? Like, what was my favorite game when I had to ride my bike to school? What was that? It's tough to remember. Anyways, all right. I appreciate everybody who submitted. Didn't do all of them. I want to do like five. I'll just pick the best ones. Otherwise, we'll be here forever. It's been a long one. So appreciate everybody tuning in. Appreciate all the support, all of that good stuff. Subscribe, like, share, whatever it is. Spread the word. You know what it is. We're going to take over Detroit sports media. We're going to. I'll catch you guys next time. Have a great weekend.